listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. And if you would like to discuss today's reading, I encourage you to head over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group and share your own thoughts and insights about today's readings with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 196. We are reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 13, Paragraphs 144 to 152. Chapter 13. Most Holy Mary passes her 33rd year, ever after remaining unchanged as to her virginal body. She plans to support her Most Holy Son and St. Joseph by the labor of her hands. 144. After Jesus had reached his twelfth year, our great queen and lady occupied herself particularly in the exercises and the mysteries which I have pointed out, but could not fully describe in the foregoing chapters. In the course of time, our Savior passed to the period of his adolescence at eighteen, and his blessed mother, according to the dates given in volume two, paragraph 138 and 475, reached her perfect growth in her thirty-third year. I call it that because according to the division of man's life, commonly accepted, the age of thirty-three is that of full bodily growth and perfection, being the end of youthful vigor, or as others would have it, the beginning of it. Whatever opinion is accepted, that is, the end of natural perfection of the body, and it lasts only a short time, for immediately corrupted nature, never remaining in the same state, begins to decline. Like the moon, which begins to lessen as soon as it has reached fullness, it never remains in the same state. From that time on, the body does not grow in length, nor can the increase in bulk be called a perfection, being rather a defect of nature. On this account, our Lord Christ died at the completion of his thirty-third year, for his most ardent love induced him to wait only until his body should have attained its perfect growth and vigor, and was in all respects most capable of bringing the perfect gifts of nature and grace to this sacrifice. Not because divine grace was in need of any growth in him, but in order that his human nature might correspond with the perfection of grace, and that nothing might be wanting, even exteriorly, to the completeness of his sacrifice for mankind. In accordance with this, it is said that the Almighty created Adam and Eve in the condition of a man and woman at the age of thirty-three years. 
It is true, of course, that in the first and second age of the world, the life of man was much longer, and by dividing the periods of human life at that time, many more years would have to be counted for each period before the time of David than after that time when old age begins at seventy years. 145. When, therefore, the Queen of Heaven arrived at her thirty-third year, her virginal body had attained full natural growth, so well proportioned and beautiful that she was the admiration not only of human beings but of the angelic spirits themselves. She had grown in size and stature to the most perfect proportion in all the parts of her body, and most strikingly resembled her divine son in features and complexion. When later on he arrived at that age, always, of course, taking into account that Christ was the most perfect man, while his mother was the most perfect woman. Other mortals, on account of the decline of the natural humors and temperature, ordinarily begin to deteriorate, and gradually approach decay as far as their body is concerned. The exquisite balance of bodily humors is disturbed, and the earthly ones begin to predominate more and more. The hair begins to whiten, the countenance to wrinkle, the blood to cool, some of the strength to weaken and the whole human frame, in spite of the greatest care, commences to decline toward old age and corruption. But in the Most Holy Mary it was not so, for the wonderful beauty and strength which she had attained at the age of thirty-three years remained unchanged, and when she had reached her seventieth year, as I shall relate later on, she still retained the same beauty and entirety of her virginal body as at the age of thirty-three. One forty-six. The Blessed Lady was well aware of this special privilege, conceded to her by the Most High, and she rendered him most humble thanks. She understood also that it was granted to her in order that the likeness of her Most Holy Son might always be preserved in her, though with the differences consequent upon her different nature and longer life. For the Lord attained full bodily growth at thirty-three years, while she retained it during her much longer life. St. Joseph, although he was not so very old at the time, when our Blessed Lady reached her thirty-third year, was much broken and worn out as far as his body was concerned. For his continual cares, his journeys, and his incessant labors for the sustenance of his spouse and of the Lord had weakened him much more than his years. This was so ordained by the Lord, who, wishing to lead him on to the practice of patience and of other virtues, permitted him to suffer sickness and pain, as I will relate in the following chapter. His most prudent spouse, knowing that he was much weakened and always having loved and served him better than any wife ever did her husband, spoke to him and said, My spouse and my master, I am deeply obliged to you for the faithful labors, watchfulness, and care thou hast bestowed on my welfare. For in the sweat of thy brow thou hast until now supported me, thy servant, and my most holy son, the true God, and in this thy solicitude thou hast spent thy strength and the best part of thy health and of thy life in protecting me and attending upon my welfare. From the hands of the Almighty thou shalt receive the reward of thy works and the blessings of sweetness which thou deservest. Psalm 24 
By now I beseech thee, my master, rest henceforth from thy labors, since thy impaired strength is not any more equal to them. I wish from now on to show my gratitude by laboring in the service and provide for such sustenance as the Lord wishes us to have. 147. The saint listened to the words of his sweetest spouse with abundant tears of humblest acknowledgment and consolation, although he at first earnestly entreated her to be allowed to continue forever in his labors, yet at last he yielded to her request and obeyed his spouse, the mistress of the world. From that time on he rested from the hard labor of his hands, by which he had earned a livelihood for all three. They gave away the carpenter tools as an alms, not wishing to have anything superfluous or useless in their house and family. Being thus at leisure, St. Joseph occupied himself entirely in the contemplation of the mysteries of which he was the guardian, and in the exercise of virtues. As he had the happiness and the intercourse of the divine wisdom incarnate, and of her who was the mother of it, the man of God, reached such a height of sanctity that his heavenly spouse accepted, no one ever surpassed him, and he far outstripped all other creatures." The Blessed Lady and also her Most Holy Son attended upon him and nursed him in his sickness, consoling and sustaining him with the greatest assiduity, and hence there are no words sufficiently expressive of the humility, reverence, and love which all this caused in the simple and grateful heart of this man of God. He thus became the admiration and joy of the angels and the pleasure and the delights of the Most High. 148. Thenceforth the mistress of the world took upon herself the task of supporting by her work her most holy son and her husband, for such was the will of the eternal wisdom, in order to raise Mary to the very pinnacle of all virtues and perfections, and in order to furnish an example for the confusion of the daughters and the sons of Adam and Eve. The Lord set up for us as a model this strong woman, clothed with beauty and fortitude, for at this age of thirty-three years she was to show herself girded with strength and ready to extend her hands to the poor, purchasing the field and cultivating the vineyard by her own labor to bring forth its fruits. The heart of her husband confided in her, and not only that of her husband, St. Joseph, but also that of her son, the true God-man, the teacher of the poor, and the poor of the poor. And they were not deceived. Proverbs 31.10 the great queen began to busy herself much more in spinning and weaving linen and wool, thus mysteriously fulfilling all that Solomon says about her in the Proverbs. But as I have explained this chapter of Scripture at the end of the first part, I shall not repeat it here, although much of what I have said then pertains to this period of her life, when both interiorly and exteriorly she executed it in action. 149. The Lord was not wanting an ability to provide for his bodily living, that of his blessed mother and of St. Joseph. For not in bread alone does man live and is sustained. He could have created it by his mere word, as he himself assures us. He could have each day created the necessary food. But then the world would have been deprived of this spectacle of his holy mother, lady of the whole world, laboring for their sustenance, and the Virgin herself would have been deprived of the reward due to these meritorious works. All was arranged by the teacher of our salvation with admirable providence, 
for the glory of our queen and for our instruction. Her diligence and care in these employments cannot be expressed in words. She labored much, and because she always lived in retirement, she was assisted by that most fortunate woman of whom I have spoken before. Volume 2, paragraphs 227 and 423. This woman assumed some of the labor of the great queen and performed the necessary errands. But Mary never used any command when in want of her assistance, but spoke to her in humble request and with the utmost consideration, always seeking to find out her wishes by asking her whether she would not like to do this or that. Her blessed son, like his heavenly mother, ate no meat. Their nourishment was only fish, fruit, and herbs, and these only in the greatest moderation. For St. Joseph, she procured flesh meat, and although their poverty and want was apparent also in this, yet it was seasoned by the goodwill and loving kindness with which she served it to her spouse. The blessed lady slept but little, and often she spent the greater part of the night in work, for the Lord now permitted her to spend more time in such employment than in Egypt. Sometimes it happened that with all her diligence and labor, she could not earn what was necessary, for St. Joseph now had need of more expensive nourishment and clothes than formerly. At such times, Christ our Lord made use of his almighty power in multiplying what was in their possession, or in commanding the angels to bring the necessaries from elsewhere. But more frequently, he miraculously enabled his most holy mother to accomplish much in a short time by the labor of her hands and thus multiply its result. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven, Mary, gave me. 150. My daughter, in what thou hast written of my labors, thou shouldst have received a most exalted doctrine for thy imitation and direction. But in order that thou mayest not forget, I will now give thee a summary of it. I wish that thou imitate me in three virtues, which thou wilt find in what thou hast written. They are the virtues of prudence, charity, and justice, so little taken notice of by mortals. Prudence should teach thee to provide for the wants of thy neighbor as far as possible in thy state. Charity should make thee diligent and zealous in coming to their assistance. Justice should oblige thee to fulfill the obligations of charity as necessity, and love itself point them out to thee. Thou shouldst be an eye to the blind, an ear to the deaf, and thy hands should labor for those that are maimed. Job 29.15 Although on account of thy state of life thou must practice this doctrine principally, and continue in a spiritual way, yet I desire that thou take it to thy heart, also as far as the temporal and bodily wants of thy neighbor. Demand always, striving to be most faithful in imitating me. For I also provided for the necessities of my spouse, and held myself ready to serve and support him, deeming myself obliged thereto. And I fulfilled this obligation with ardent charity until he died. Although the Lord had given him to me for my support, I faithfully provided for him by my labors, as long as he was unable to perform this task himself. I judged it to be my duty thus to use the strength given to me by the Lord, and would have considered it a great fault not to do so with great assiduity. 151. The children of the church paid no attention to this example, and therefore they have fallen into a perverseness, which greatly exasperates the just judge. 
For though all mortals, not only since the first sin by which all incurred work as punishment, but also from the very first beginning were created in order to work, Genesis 2.15. Nevertheless, work is not evenly distributed among men. The powerful and the rich and those whom the world calls lords and nobles all try to exempt themselves from this common law and try to throw this burden upon the humble and the poor of human society. The rich keep up their pride and ostentation by the labor and sweat of the poor, and the powerful draw their strength from the weakness and helpfulness of the lowly. In many of the proud, by their haughtiness, this perversity reaches such extremes that they begin to think all this is due to them, and they despise, oppress, and trod underfoot the poor. James 2.6 They falsely suppose that others are created only in order that they themselves might enjoy leisure and delight and all the world's goods. And in addition to this, they do not even pay the small wages for these services. In this matter of not paying proper wages to the poor and to the servants, and in matters of like sort, thou wilt find great crimes against the order and will of the Almighty. But let it be known that the just as the rich pervert justice and reason and refuse to take their share in human labor, so also will mercy be inverted for them and be showered upon the despised and lowly. Wisdom 6-7 Those who in their pride give themselves up to contemptible idleness shall be chastised by the demons whom they have imitated. One fifty two. Thou, dearest, take heed against such deception. Let the advantages of earnest labor be always before thy eyes, according to my example. Separate thyself from the children of Belial, who so idly speak vain applause and thus labor for naught. Do not deem thyself above others, because thou art a superior, but deem thyself more lowly and humble, a slave of all the rest, diligently serving them all without distinction." If necessary, be ready to labor for their sustenance, and be convinced that this is incumbent upon thee, not only as their superior, but also because the religious are thy sisters and daughters of the Heavenly Father, and creatures of the Lord thy spouse. Since thou hast received more than all the rest at his liberal hand, thou art also obliged to labor more than they. The weak and ailing relieve of bodily labor, and do their work thyself. I wish that thou not only avoid charging others with work which thou canst perform thyself and which belongs to thee, but that thou assume as much as possible that of all the rest, deeming thyself their inferior and their servant, as I wish thee always to consider thyself. Since thou canst not do all thyself, and since it is necessary that thou distribute bodily labor among thy subjects, I exhort thee to observe good order and equity." not putting more labor upon those who are too humble or weak to object. But I wish that thou humiliate those who are of a haughty and proud spirit, and are unwilling to occupy themselves in hard work. However, this must not be done without exasperating them, and with a gentle firmness helping them to suppress their lukewarmness and want of subjection by placing upon them the yoke of holy obedience and accordance with their profession." In doing this, thou conferrest upon them the greatest blessing, and thou only fulfillest thy own obligation. Therefore thou shouldst see to it that they understand thee in that way. All this thou wilt again attain, if thou make no personal distinctions, and assign to each 
one, the work which she can do, and what is appropriate to her, obliging and compelling each one with equity and justice to abhor idleness and laxity, and let them see thee engaged in the hardest and most difficult work. Thereby thou wilt gain a humble liberty of commanding them. But what thou canst do thyself, command no one, in order that thou mayest enjoy the fruit and the reward of labor, in imitation of me, and in obeying all that I advise and remind thee of. This concludes our reading today for day number 196. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 13, Paragraphs 144 to 152. Today we get a glimpse into the secret years of Our Lady with Jesus and Joseph. We hear about the declining health of St. Joseph. We hear about him retiring from his trade of carpentry and how they gave away his tools as alms to those who could make use of them. We heard about that age of 33. Our Lady had reached her 33. Our Lady had reached her 33rd year. This has often been considered the perfect age, partly because Jesus dies at the age of 33. And as we heard today, even the idea that Adam and Eve were created at the age of 33. Because remember the stories of creation, Adam and Eve, Adam created out of nothing, God created him, and then Eve being fashioned out of his rib. And so they don't come to us as an infant, they don't come to us as a teenager, but at the age of 33. There are some mystics who say that in heaven, all of us will be 33 years old. Who knows? But there's something to marvel at. Maybe you are 33, or maybe you could think back to your 33rd year and see if there was anything special that God did for you uh, during that special year of your life. The Blessed Lady and also her Most Holy Son attended to St. Joseph and nursed him in his sickness, consoling and sustaining him with great assiduity. Maybe it's something we haven't thought of before. Well, Joseph, advancing in years, Joseph who dies before the public ministry of Jesus, what were those years like? And so we're kind of getting a picture that at the very end he begins to decline in health. And maybe you can relate to this because you've witnessed it. You've seen it happen in the life of someone you love. You've seen it in a parent advancing in years, declining in health, and how you attended to them. And to think that as you took care of that person, that Mary and Jesus were doing something very similar in the home of Nazareth. And then finally, we realize that if Joseph retired... Well, Mary then picks up the work. We heard about some of the labor she did in Egypt and such. And there's a very interesting sentence that concludes right before the instruction today that we heard. But more frequently, Jesus miraculously enabled his most holy mother to accomplish much in a short time by the labor of her hands and thus multiply its results. Jesus aided his mother by multiplying her works in 
the amount of time that she took to do them. I've often marveled at this. You know, sometimes if you struggled to get a holy hour in each day or to pray, that when you don't do it, it seems like you don't get as much done. But if you don't forfeit your prayer, it seems like you get even more done, even though you took that time away to be with the Lord in prayer. The multiplication of time, it's something I've also thought about in terms of the saints. Think about some of these saints. Padre Pio prayed the rosary like 30 times a day. How did he do that? Well, maybe it was a matter of time. God who allowed him to bilocate, God allowed him to really suspend time for him to pray. I don't know, something to marvel at. St. Faustina, she would pray these novenas of a thousand Hail Marys at a time. A thousand Hail Marys. One rosary has 53 Hail Marys. That's 10 rosaries. How did she do it? Well, maybe there's something about that miraculous amount of time. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.